Welcome everybody to this special edition of Q Zero. My name is Lizana and I'm here with my co-host Daniel. Hello. And today we will be talking about, uh, well, Formula One for dummies. It's kind of like a starter guide as to how to just be able to sit down, watch the race and understand everything that's going on. Um, we've divided this basic info up into several different topics. Uh, and I'm gonna hand the floor over to Daniel. Yes, uh, I'm gonna start uh, this off talking about the FIA, the governing body of the Formula One race. Uh, you might be wondering why those initials are used. It's because the original actual name is Federazione Internazionale delle Automobile, which is French for International Automobile Federation, of course. And it's a very important distinction between the FIA and Formula One, because those are two different uh, things. The FIA is is the governing body founded in 1904, um, which governs many and most of the motor auto racing events uh, in the world. And they are a, f- a non-profit organization that is basically responsible for like the regulations, the licenses and the permits of the different pro- uh, drivers. Also, most importantly, for the safety regulations. So they do not make any money out of this. And they're just basically in charge of all the rules and that everything happens as smoothly as possible. I also would like to talk about the president, but he stepped down a week or two ago, Mohammed bin Salem. So, and a new one hasn't been decided yet. So we'll see about how that goes when a new person has been appointed. I'll give back to you, Liz. Yeah, so um, I'm going to talk about the penalties first, uh, following with the FIA, because the FIA is also the um, the governing body who decides which penalties to give and who to give them to, what the penalties are. But when I was first doing research about this, I found out that there is so many penalties, and I do not have the time to cover them all. So instead of... I've made some basic distinctions, and I focus mostly on like the most common reasons for penalties and the most common ways penalties are served. Well, first of all, why are there even penalties? Like, it is still a sport. It might be racing, but it's still a sport, and rules are needed to ensure that the sport is done fairly and safety for everybody involved. So, uh, penalties are a way to punish drivers or teams who have broken those rules or endangered people or maybe endangered themselves in a way to keep it fair and safe. Now, where can drivers get penalties? And the answer is basically everywhere. Like, (laughs) anywhere but the paddock, they can be fined or penalized for anything. So before or during or after qualifying, you can get penalties. You can get penalties on the grid while lining up for the race. So even while you're just standing still, you can get a penalty. You can get a penalty during or if the review is very slow, you can get a penalty after the race, and you can also get penalties in the pit lane. So the most common things drivers get penalties for is, well, uh, changing too many parts on or in the car, or like uh, engine parts, because there's only so many parts per season they get to change in a sort of attempt to keep the costs fair to everybody involved. And if you change too many parts, you get a penalty for that. If you have the wrong tires under the car in the race, you can get a penalty. If you have um, driven outside of the track limits too many times, or if you drove outside track limits and you got a, an advantage because of that, you also get a penalty. And with advantage, they mean like you were able to overtake somebody, or you were able to defend your position. Uh, if you don't have enough fuel in the tank of your car at the end of qualifying or at the end of your race, you can also get a penalty. You might even get disqualified, actually. Um, there's also penalties for ignoring flags from the marshals, there's penalties for not switching tires during the race at all because you need to pit stop at least once. There's also misbehaving under a safety car, like going too fast or overtaking or uh, being unsportsmanlike. And there is also a penalty for going too fast in the pit lane, which is the only area on track with a speed limit, actually, it's 80 kilometers per hour. Um, or for doing something that's called an unsafe release. It's when you like drive away too fast or you endanger other people when you exit the pit. Now, as for what kind of penalties drivers can get, it's kind of divided into two separate categories. There's time penalties and grid penalties. So there's also financial fees, of course, and fines, but those are mostly applied to the teams, and I'm not really going to talk about them. 
because they are more open to interpretation and there's no clear rules about them. That's just up to the FIA to decide what kind of fine they want to give. So I'm just going to focus on the driver penalties now. Um, and a grid penalty is a penalty that places you on a different position than where you should actually start. So say uh, you had one engine part changed and it was it took you over the limits and now you get a 10 place grid penalty. That means that if you qualified for pole position, so if you started first and then you get a 10 place grid penalty, you actually start from P11. And uh, there's some different like severities of grid penalties. So for the first time changing too many car parts, you get 10 place grid penalty. If you do it again, five place grid penalty. But if you do it for a third time, you get placed all the way to the back of the grid. Now there is some other like abnormal situations for which you can get a grid penalty or you can mess it up so badly that you have to start from the pit lane, but you don't really see this often. So uh, when this happens for qualifying or a training, we'll cover it again in the, in the episode before the race weekend. But the other flavor of penalties that you see and they're way more common are time penalties. Um, and there is sort of like three subcategories in this as well. You can get a just a regular 5 and 10 second penalty. There's drive-throughs and then there is 10 second stop and go penalties. So like I said, the 5 and 10 like the most often seen. They're regular. This means that you when you go into pit, doesn't matter when, but when you take your pit stop, the car needs to be left alone for 5 or 10 seconds. And after that time has passed, the crew can come in and do the pit stop. Now, next is the drive-through, which, kind of like it says on the tin, you have to drive your car through the pit lane, but you're not allowed to actually make a pit stop. So, this is also a massive time loss, of course, because you're driving at 80 kilometers per hour through the pit lane while your competitors are going 200, 300 kilometers per hour out on the track. And the most severe time penalty is the 10-second stop and go, which requires you to go into the pits within two laps from when the penalty was issued. Park your car, stand still for 10 seconds, and then go immediately back out on track. Because you're not allowed to actually take a pit stop after this. So this one is a massive slowdown for the race. And if you fail to adhere to any of these rules, you can get extra time. Usually 30 seconds added to the finishing time of the driver, which can put them back several positions after the finishing of the race. Yes. And then there's the biggest uh, regulation that has been talked about a lot recently, which is the budget cap, which I'm going to talk about a bit more in detail now. Um, the budget cap was introduced for the 2021 season, which were, which is supposed to bunch uh, the entire field together. Because obviously the biggest spender, the biggest teams, they spend like 300 million a season uh, uh, on everything, and that while other smaller teams couldn't even get close uh, to that. So they introduced the budget cap uh, to put the field together. <clears throat> the idea behind the budget cap is that every time a new big um, engine regulations is introduced, they have like a big budget cap to obviously develop and adapt as best as possible to these new engine regulations. And then uh, the cap decreases by $5 million dollars. Uh, every season after until um, uh, until the next big engine change. In this case, obviously 2021 was the first year where, where all the teams had a budget cap of 145 million US dollars, which is quite a lot. Uh, and then obviously for each season, it was 5 million less. So for this season, all the teams have a budget cap for 135 million dollars. But this is not actually that accurate because the budget cap I just uh, listed, those are calculated for um, 21 races a season. And this year we have 23 races a season. So each team gets one and a half million dollars more per race. So they get three million more in total, more or less. And also the budget cap is adjusted to inflation, which obviously increases everything a lot more. So we don't really know the final budget cap until the end of the season because it keeps adjusting as it goes on. But like just as an idea, the 135 million US dollars is 126 million euros more or less. Uh, but in the end, it keeps being quite a 
bit more because of these two extra races I just mentioned, um, and obviously the inflation. So the thing is, not everything that the team pays for is included in the budget cap. What is included in the fee? Uh, in, in this cap, I mean, uh, it's obviously all the salaries for all the team members. Teams have massive teams, and this includes pretty much everyone except for the drivers. So from all the people, the engineers and everybody in the actual pit lane, um, to all the people in the factory working on the car uh, throughout the year to make the car for the next season. Uh, obviously, uh, all, all the factory parts they produce, uh, the spare parts they use along the uh, during the year, the transport, um, all the the entire equipment and everything they use throughout the year to run the car, like the tires, all that is included inside uh, the budget cap. And also all additional fees not mentioned as uh, not covered inside the budget cap because there's a few things that are excluded of it. One thing that I found very curious is obviously the driver salaries are not included in the budget cap, but also the three highest paid members of a team are also not included, which is usually the three highest paid ones. They don't mention who. So it could be the team principal and two engineers, but who the fuck knows? Obviously the entire... Yeah, it's it's it, it was it was super weird. The entire marketing for the different teams is also obviously not included. Uh, the different travel costs for the a hundred plus people, the teams transport every single time to go to a different location. So basically, also hotels and the stuff that is not included. Uh, entry and license fees for like the the race or the competition and everything that is also not included. And uh, employee bonuses, sick leave, and parental leaves that obviously several people have. Uh, all that stuff is not included uh, in the budget cap. But everything, and there's obviously a bunch more smaller stuff that we don't really have that much time to mention. Um, pretty much everything not specifically mentioned to not be covered by the budget cap is included. And there's obviously a lot of different penalties that you can incur for going over the budget cap, um, even going as far as being excluded from the championships. Uh, but that is uh, obviously not something really that much worth mentioning. Uh, I just mentioned the championships, so I'm, I'm just going to quickly talk about them. <laughs> smooth transition. Very smooth. Go on. <laughs> um, there's two different championships that the drivers and teams fight for each year. The Drivers' Championship and the Constructors' Championship. The Drivers' Championship began in 1950. This is the one everybody always mentioned, but the Constructors' Championships actually didn't begin until 1958. It's also something super interesting I found out. So the first few years were Ferrari-dominated, I think. I don't mm. really know. Uh, they, they would have won more Constructors' Championship, but it didn't because it didn't exist. Oh, that's, that's rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the thing is, it is it is a bit. Um, the way this works is that at the end of each race, all the um, all the drivers, depending on the position they end up during the race, uh, they get points. There are twenty drivers usually currently. There are twenty drivers in each race, but only the first ten people get the first ten people that finish uh, actually get some points. The, the winner gets 25 points, the second person gets 18, the third person gets 15, the fourth uh, 12, uh, and so on. So it like decreases exponentially. So if you finish 8, you get 4, the ninth 2, and the 10th person gets only 1 point. So obviously there's very, very high competition for the first places because those are the ones that get a massive amount of points. Because just finishing in, in fifth place once which gives you 10 points, is better than finishing in ninth place five times. Um, Also, those exact same... So each driver competes for those points every single race. And obviously, at the end of the season, the driver who will want the most uh, points um, wins. Uh, As you might have uh, noticed, each 
team has two different drivers. So for the Constructors' Championship, which is the competition between the teams, um, the, the points of the two drivers of that team are, are, are basically counted together, and that's how the teams uh, win or lose the Constructors' Championship. So the big difference between the driver and the constructor also is that the driver championships only basically gets you clout. There's like no actual advantage in winning the drivers constructorship except for being able to use the number one as your driver number the next season. But the thing is, if you win the constructors championship, you get a ton of money from the FIA. But also, as another method to trying to bunch the field together, the thing is, the higher you place in the Constructors' Championship, the less time for testing of your car for the next season you have. So, um, first talking about the payment. is they, they, like This is actually quite complicated because there's a lot of different factors and percentages involved in how the money is later divided. But basically, you need to think of every team gets a, a certain amount of money at the end of the season from, from, from F1, from Formula 1. Um, not the FIA, from Formula 1, which are basically ones that collect all the revenue that they get throughout the year for, like, for like everything from, like, merchandise they sell to, obviously, the entries to the events, um, to the rights they sell to the to like Sky F1 or the Zone for like streaming the races and everything, they end up making a ton of money at the end of the year, and they give a lot of it back to the teams. About twenty five percent of that of that money that they make at the end of the year, they end up dividing it equally between all the teams. So every single team gets the same, and then there's the second. 25% that they end up uh, dividing between the teams, but in order of how they ended up with the constructors. And it's uh, and it's in like 5% increases. So the, um, the one at the bottom gets only like 5% and 10% and, 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 and so on. Um, so the one person... So it's also a difference of like 16 to 17 million. So for each position, you go higher. In the constructors' championship, you get an extra sixteen to seventeen million at the end of the season Jeez. from Formula One. That is a lot of money. Uh, from seventh position down, you have one hundred percent of the error testing and also CFD testing, which is computational fluid dynamics testing, which I found out exists, which is also basically just error testing, but like in computers. Mm which they also do, and it's also limited. Uh, but yeah, from seventh position all the way down, uh, they have like 100% of the time allowed to do the testing. But from sixth up, they have like 5% decreases. So the sixth position only has 95% of the time allowed and so on. So the first person only has 70% of the time allowed. This year is also a bit special because Red Bull, because of breaching the budget cap on 2021, they have like even 10% less. So instead of having only 70%, they have 60% of the time allowed, which is, is a significant reduction for their competition. Yeah. And also, uh, just a few, uh, just uh, just like a few fun facts I found out about the um, different, uh, how the money is allowed. Did you know that Ferrari, simply for competing, simply for being part of the Constructors' Championship, they get $900 million dollars for just being there? Yes, for being the longest standing team in, and being the most famous one and being the most recognizable one. So, so for literally just competing, they get $90 million. That feels so unfair towards all the other teams. What the fuck? Yes. So, so they can be third or fourth in a Constructors Championship and still be the team that in the end gets the most money. Wow. Okay. Which is insane. It's insane. That's a lot of money. Anyway, That's then, basically just forever guaranteed. Because with them getting that much yeah. money, they're not going to leave the sport either. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh my god. Like, and the thing is, they get it even if they do shit. It's just, it's like, 
even uh, during the 2020 season where they ended up like seventh or sixth, I, I can't even remember. It was like the, the the worst season in 40 years, and they still got this 90 million bonus for simply competing. Jesus, that's Christ. like the best participation price ever. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, it's like it's like a contract they have with Formula One. Also, I, I, I also when I discovered this, I was like, "This is insane!" I actually had to Google it. But it's like a contract they have with Formula One, since I, since they are by far the most recognizable team in Formula One, they know that if they didn't compete, F one would lose a lot of clout. So they just signed this contract where they get a fuck ton of money for free. Wow. I know. And obviously, there's another all different bonus fees for for if you win several constructors in in row and uh so in general the top three also get another bonus of like 30 million and then 35 and 40 million the number one again just because but yeah like ferrari can be third in a constructors championship and still end out the team that made the most money that season god damn yeah anyway yeah that's super interesting i found that i had to tell about uh but yeah i'm gonna give it them back to you then yeah so um like daniel mentioned earlier i'm going to be talking about the teams and he mentioned that the teams are huge there's so many different departments there is um factory teams there is uh the design team there's people working logistics and pr there's um, there's marketing, there's catering, and all of that, all included in the same F1 team, results in teams that have a size between 300 and 1,200 people. Now, to scale it down just a little bit, I want to be talking only about the group of people that are actually like directly involved with the race as it's going on. Um, and then I'm going to be talking from the bottom up, so starting with the biggest group, and that would be the mechanics and the pit crew. So they are the people who uh, work on the car, who maintain it, who adjust it, uh, who change the tires and everything. But I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, pit stops later. But they're the folks who do all like all the hard work on the car and keep it running smoothly. Then directly above the pit crew and the mechanics, there is somebody called a race engineer. And generally speaking, there is two race engineers per team. They might have some more, but there's at least, at least two. And each driver in the team has their own engineer. And this engineer is also the person who sits at the pit wall. They're the people who you can hear talking on the board radio to the driver. They are sort of like the communication link between the driver and the rest of the team. They're so they're also the people to relay orders uh, when they change strategies or just asking how, how the driver's doing, if they're okay, that kind of thing. Um, usually speaking, the race engineer is also present in strategy meetings and briefings. They also get to uh, make some decisions and input their opinions and stuff. Uh, and they are the people who are, usually speaking, the closest to the driver. Now, of course, the driver, each driver also has their own like uh, sort of supporting staff. And this could be a masseuse, uh, a personal trainer health coach, maybe like a life coach, mental health coach. Some people have dogs, like Hamilton. He likes to bring his dog to the track. Uh, and then lastly, the big boss, the most important person in a team is, of course, the team principal. Now, this is the person who has the final say in almost all the decisions made in the team. They are the people who you'll see up on the stage to accept trophies or to accept the Constructors' Championship. Uh, they are the ones talking to race control and doing interviews and all of that. Um, but an important fact to note is that usually speaking, and once again there are some exceptions to this, but usually speaking the race principal is not the owner of the team. They're just the, the person who gets hired by the owner to run the team for them, because oftentimes the actual owners of the team is either a large company or somebody with a lot of money, but not necessarily a lot of um, knowledge or experience with racing. So they hire somebody to do it for them, and that is the team principal. Okay, well, I I know I said the team principal is the most important, and while that is true, you of course also have the drivers in the team. And each team has two drivers, like Daniel said as well. Uh, they each have their own mechanics and their own pit crew, their own supporting staff, their own engineers, so it's kind of like the 
team is divided into two and with two halves and each one supports one driver. Um, they are still part of the same team, even though in the construct sorry, in the normal championship they compete against one another. They do have to work together to get as much points as possible, as many points as possible for the constructors championship. Um, and this is where it gets interesting because competition is always welcomed and sometimes even encouraged between teammates because it's good motivation to perform better because you don't want to be outperformed by your teammates and all that. But there have been several instances where teammates take it a little bit too far and the competition turns into straight up fighting and that ends up costing the team a lot of money. For example, a couple years back, I think it was 2019 or 2018, um, Max Verstappen and Daniel Ricciardo were teammates and they that, ended up crashing into each other. 18? Yeah, 18. Yeah. They ended up crashing into each other so many times. They wrecked cars, they had to do so many replacements that it got very, very expensive. And there's a few other examples of that on track as well. Um, so the team principal also has to kind of manage relations between the two drivers and make sure that while they're being competitive, um, they're not taking it too far and like destroying each other. So we've heard a lot about the teams. So now I'm going to take a bit to talk about the teams uh, they are and, and the different drivers. Like there's 10 teams and 20 drivers. And I don't really want to make this a list reading, but I still need to go very quickly over the different teams and drivers. And also, to be clear, I am going through the teams in alphabetical order, so there's no priority system whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to reveal who your favorite is just yet? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. No, I don't really have well, whatever for next episode. Um, but yes, uh, the first team is the Alfa Romeo team, which is, I think, the newest addition, so to speak, uh, to F1, because... They used to be the Sauber, then it turned off a rail, but they also don't get too attached to them because by the 2026 season, they're going to be Audi, if I'm not mistaken. That's um, right, but isn't um, the Aston Martin team newer? Aston Martin? I think, isn't it the same year? I don't know. Ah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm due. I'm due here. Um, but yes, uh, I, they're not... There are two drivers are the Chinese driver Zhou Guan Yu. I'm probably pronouncing that completely wrong. Um, who is he? He is the the he was the only rookie last season. And the other driver Valtteri Bottas, which used to be Mercedes uh, Hamilton's uh, uh, second driver. So he drove for like Mercedes a few years, and then he went to Alfa Romeo. Must be quite the letdown. <laughs> yes, but let's not get into that dynamic <laughs> right like now. <laughs> the thing I, I also found super interesting. I just I found out that the Alfa Romeo team drives under the Swiss flag because obviously each team and each driver drives under under a flag of a country that they choose. So obviously, like Zoe drives under the Chinese flag and Valtteri Bottas drives under the Finnish flag, mm-hmm. but the Alfa Romeo team drives under the Swiss flag. Which I found interesting. Yeah, I didn't um, know they were Swiss at all, but yeah, apparently they are. Also, next team, Alpha Tauri. They are basically the the junior team of Red Bull, which I'm gonna get into them later. But like you probably know them already. They're the junior team of Red Bull. But I thought I found also very interesting that their full name is Scuderia Alpha Tauri, and that they drive under the Italian flag, which is also mm-hmm. super fucking confusing for no reason. But yeah, their their two drivers are. The Dutch uh, uh, Nick de Vries, which I'm also probably pronouncing not that correctly, and the Japanese Yuki Tsunoda. (laughs) Uh, Nick de Vries, he drove already once for for one race in Formula One. He is is a rookie, 100%. Um, But he's like a Formula 3, Formula 2, and Formula E world champion. And he drove for one race at Monza last uh, uh, last year, and he actually managed to score points, which, as I stated before, is actually not that easy, mm-hmm. uh, which is quite impressive for somebody who had never driven in Formula One. So yeah, there is quite a lot of hype surrounding this guy, and I do have to say, quite uh, seeing how he performed that one race, it's quite justified. Mm-hmm. The next team 
is the French team Alpine with the two French drivers, Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon. This is the only team where every single flag they drive under is the same one. They're all French. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about them. <laughs> no, but yeah, they, uh, they are the team that replaced Renault, who, who is pretty much a staple in Formula 1. But they then rebranded to Alpine. Yeah, I was just about to say, like, it's it's technically speaking still Renault. It's just like their sports car brand instead of the base Renault. Yeah, it's Alpine. Yeah. So, and they still drive uh, Renault power units and everything, but it's which is all of all of that is French. But yes. That's all I need to say about that. Yeah. Okay. The next team is the Aston Martin team. Uh, which actually has gone through several uh, name changes in the last few years. They were known as uh, race, uh, Racing Point India? Uh, race Force, I thought, India. Race Force racing India. Point. Race for- then there was Racing Point, and now it is Aston Martin. They drive on- under the British flag. Um, and their two drivers are both the Canadian Lance Stroll and the Spanish absolute legend Fernando Alonso, obviously. I don't think Alonso needs much of an introduction, but two world, two times world champion and fellow Spaniard. <laughs> he is also uh, he's the oldest driver on track. He's been he around is... for forever. Retired twice, yeah. but he's still here. He came back. <laughs> like just just to make it clear, Fernando Alonso he won his world champion in like two thousand five and two thousand six. So he drove against Michael Schumacher. So just to make it clear in like the timeline, like he drove against Michael Schumacher and like last year he drove against Mick Schumacher. So he drove against father and son. Yeah, this dude has been around forever. Yeah. And like Liz said, he retired twice, but always came back mm-hmm. because I guess he was bored. <laughs> to be honest, living the life he has lived, I would also be bored if I wasn't driving Formula One car. Yeah, probably same. Probably. Uh... Okay, the next team, the absolute legend, Scuderia Ferrari. They need no introduction. Everybody has heard about them. They're the red team. No need for introduction, I think. Um, their two drivers are Carlos Sainz Jr., the, the second Spaniard, and the Monagasque. 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 Uh, Charles Leclerc. I Like... He's, as far as I know, the only Monegasque who has ever had actual chances of winning the Monaco Grand Prix. I think so. I think so, but at the same time, he's driving for Ferrari, so he's probably never going to win it. <laughs> yeah, but that's not so much to do with him and more with the team, but yes, to we'll get clear, into that later. <laughs> Ferrari, they're obviously Italian, so there's a lot of jokes surrounding Ferrari about them being not incompetent, but... I would say they're very competent at fucking up in the dumbest way possible. Which They've is... made some poor strategic decisions in the past. Um, some? some, some, yeah, they seem to be th- fond like, of making those. Like, I think, I think one of the most iconic Formula One images possible is seeing a Ferrari drive in first place, but then breaking down and not finishing the race. I think that has to be one of the most iconic Formula One images possible. Yes, but that's not a strategic decision. That's just bad luck. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Bad luck, but at the same time, it's Ferrari. And if it's not if it's not bad luck from the engine breaking down, it's either a strategic massive mistake. Anyway, uh, yeah, there's a lot to say about Ferrari, obviously, and I'm not. <laughs> yeah. And I do have I do have a massive run saved up for whenever they they, they fuck up several times in a row next time. But yes, it'll happen. Ferrari. We'll get into it. It when will it happen when it happens, <laughs> which we all assume is gonna happen. Yep. Okay, so the next team is the Haas F1 team, which is uh, an American uh, Formula 1 team, which is... it's They're not the first ones, but it's quite rare. Um, though most people don't know about this because they pretty much sell out to everybody possible because I think they're the team with the lowest budget of the entire field. So they're always fighting for survival to even stay inside Formula 1. Yeah. So they're always really bad in the uh, in need of money. So they just kind of sell out a lot, which is also what happened with the entire. They had the massive Russian sponsor, which basically ended up the entire car being basically the Russian flag, 
but they obviously yeah. dropped that last February when the Ukraine invasion started. Yeah, um, also worth mentioning is that the reason they had this sponsor in the first place is because the son of the CEO of that company yeah. uh, was the driver in that team. He was also yeah. promptly ejected from the team when yes. the invasion happened. And yeah. his name is Mazepin, which will maybe ring a bell for some folks listening. <laughs> also, to, I, to be clear, I do think he was a driver because that was a condition for the uh, Russian sponsor actually sponsoring them. But, you know. Um, yeah, but they were they were like a package deal, and they both left. Yeah, they bo- they both got kicked out, which is a bold move by Haas, and I am happy they did. And, and it turned out great. I think they had their best season ever last yeah. year in term in term of points. So it must have gone well for them. Okay, so the next team is also quite another big legend. Is the McLaren of one team, which is another British team, and they're also quite famous. And because they are the the uh, Ferrari is the team that has won the most constructors championship, and the second one is McLaren. Uh, so they are also a very long-standing champion uh, uh, team, um, and they have the two drivers. One is Lando Norris, another Brit, and then for the as a new rookie this year, Oscar Piastri, which is an Australian um, that just came new into the sport after some. Problems getting in, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's he's finally made it. Um, then the next team is the Mercedes AMG uh, Formula One team, which has been pretty much dominating last decade, and yep. by last decade I mean like 2010 till 2020, where they pretty much won everything with their main driver Lewis Hamilton, like. The thing is, the Mercedes team drives under the German flag, and Lewis is obviously a Brit. Um, and and the thing is, then after twenty twenty one, some stuff happened. While they still won the constructors' championship twenty twenty one, they Hamilton lost the the drivers' championship. So Hamilton is currently tied with Michael Schumacher as the 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 only two people who have won seven drivers' championships. Uh, in like history, and Hamilton still has chances to get his eighth. I forgot Haas drivers. Fuck. Okay, we might have to cut that in. That's um, fine. You can just mention them now. Okay, the two Haas drivers are uh, first the the Dane uh, Kevin Magnussen, who made the very impressive pole position last year. Uh, for the Brazilian Grand Prix. Very unique. It was... Everybody was wild and happy. Like, I have never seen... Like, pretty much nobody complain about a pole position except that one. It was quite impressive. Mm -hmm. And then the the returner, Nico Hulkenberg, who after, after... Like, he was in the sport for a long time. Never quite managed to win anything, uh, and then left because he couldn't find a team. But now he managed to get back, and I he's mean, even uh, better. German. He ha- he is the person who holds the record for the longest time, like the most amount of races in Formula One without winning a single podium. Yeah, yeah. So that is uh, Nico who came back. Well, he's he's definitely not a bad driver. Like outside of Formula One, he has won some stuff. Uh, in the rally um in dtm i think he also participated don't quote me on this i don't know i i i can't fully remember but yeah um obviously uh yeah uh also i didn't finish mercedes drivers yeah there's hamilton and then (laughs) there's hamilton and then there's george russell who is another brit who uh he has been uh, in the sport only a few years uh, and started out last year uh, in Mercedes and actually outperformed Lewis Hamilton which is actually quite impressive yep and then uh, the big bull in the ring uh, is the Red Bull racing team ah ha ha bull in the ring yep ha <laughs> <laughs> ha I just improvised I just sprang into my mind as I read the name uh, <laughs> 
they drive under the Austrian flag because yes, Red Bull is an Austrian company, which is also something I only discovered after starting to watch Formula One. Um, uh, <laughs> to my girlfriend's horror, because uh, <laughs> she's Austrian. But yeah, um, they have won uh, the constructors' championship last year, and their main driver Max Verstappen, Dutch, won the last two drivers' uh, championships. Stealing the one away from stealing, quote unquote. I was um, just about to protest. Like he didn't steal; he just won. <laughs> steal, quote unquote, because uh, some Hamilton fans are out of their fucking mind, and they have been traumatized by that last race in Abu Dhabi 2021. Uh, yeah, and then there was the whole issue. I, this with, is like, not. This is not the episode to get into cap. that. This is not the episode to get into that. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I wasn't gonna, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> but yeah. Um, uh, and their second driver being the Mexican Checo Pérez. Like, his actual name is Sergio Pérez, but I only know him as Checo Pérez because it's his uh, nickname. And it's always so weird when in non-Spanish uh, media they sometimes call him Sergio. It confuses me. Yeah, not gonna lie, whenever they refer to him as Sergio, I'm like, uh, wait, I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, that's Checo. <laughs> yeah, that's Checo. But yeah, for some reason, like, I've never seen him in, like, Spanish media. Like, ob- like in written news article, yes, because you kind of have to. But they always say, like, Sergio, and, and, and then in the, the uh, thing, Checo, Pérez. Uh, but then in, like, the, the transmission, it's always just Checo, Pérez. Um, but yeah, uh, Mexican, he's... Uh, he's also on the older side because he's also been in the sport for like 12 years at this point. Um, but yeah, he uh, he's the second driver for Red Bull and Max. And I do say very loudly in this case, second driver, because the team very obviously prioritizes Max. And I'm going to quote you, this is not the episode <laughs> to get into that. <laughs> this is not the episode to get into that. Uh <laughs> And lastly, the last team, and this has been way too fucking long, is the Williams Racing Team, also driving under the British flag. Uh, they're also one quite legendary team uh, inside Formula One. They were massively dominating in the 80s, especially, and the 90s. They are, the, they are actually the third team with the most Constructors' Championships, in case you didn't know. Uh, they won nine of them in total. Uh, but yeah, nowadays they're pretty much, if not the butt of the joke, they're definitely at the bottom of the standings. Um, yeah, and just to and just to finish off, their two drivers are Alexander Albon uh, driving for uh, under the Thailand flag, the Thai flag. Huh. Okay. Whatever. And uh, yeah. and. The rookie Logan Sargent driving under the American flag as the first driver in like 15 years, I think. Uh, quite a um, new entry to the sport. There's yes. some controversy about him, but we're not yeah. going to use that now. This, as I said, this is not the episode for that. Not uh, the episode. Yeah, this is finally it. Uh, I just didn't want this to be a list stream, but it was way too fucking long. So, yes, uh, I give back to you, Liz. Yeah, so I'm quickly going to be talking about the layout of the race weekend and qualifying, how that works and all that. Um, I'll try and keep it short. So, we all know that the race is on Sunday, right? That's like the main event. But the actual like race weekend starts on Friday. So, um, beginning on Friday with the last one on Saturday morning, there are three free practice sessions. And drivers can use these practices to get more familiar with the track, get a good feel for the car. Because, um, you know, sometimes after a race, they make some small adjustments in, like, engine settings or they change it uh, apart. And the drivers have to get, like, they have to re-familiarize themselves with the car. So they use the free practice to do that. Um, then you have qualifying. And there is three rounds of qualifying as well. The first round, uh, which also we called Q1, second Q2, and then the last one Q3, etc., um, in the first round in Q1, drivers have 18 minutes to try and get the fastest time they possibly can. The slowest five are then knocked out of the running. And then in Q2, the remaining 15 drivers get 15 minutes to be fast. 
the fastest lap time. The fastest lap time, yes. It doesn't matter. They're not racing, so it doesn't matter like who finishes first because they also start at different times. Um, but then again, uh, the slowest five get knocked out, and in Q3, the last qualifying round, the remaining ten drivers will once again try and put down their fastest lap time. Um, based on these lap times, the person with the fastest lap gets the first position, the second time gets the second place, etc. Now, after qualifying, that is when the grid penalty gets applied, because even though um, a grid penalty is oftentimes already known, like the driver already knows that they're going to get a grid penalty, it's not applied until after final qualifying, just so it's easier to adjust all the standings and stuff. Now, there's a slight variation on this. Since last year, there are weekends called sprint weekends, in which they have sort of like an alternative way of qualifying, where the first round of qualifying will happen on Friday evening. And then on Saturday afternoon, there will be a sprint race, which is a short race that lasts about half an hour, um, in which they get to like battle it out against each other. Um, but uh, in comparison to last year, when it was about the finishing, like who finished first and that kind of stuff, they're actually paying attention to lap times again this year. So it's just in a different setting. So in an actual race setting, who gets the fastest lap time will be the person who... Uh, starts at the front, so they'll use lap times to determine the starting grid order. And then, like I said, the main spectacle, the big event, the race, that happens on Sunday. Um, and this is the moment when the drivers uh, go all out, they do all their daring maneuvers, and they get mad at each other, and <laughs> blame everybody themselves when something goes wrong. Um, in all honesty, though, I will say, you don't need to watch the free practice or the qualifying to be able to enjoy or understand the race on set, uh, Sunday. You can just sit down, watch the race, have fun. Uh, if you want, you can of course watch the qualifying, but it just it takes so much time, and we don't all have that time to watch it. But um, I'm going to give the floor back to Daniel, who will now talk to you about tires. Yes, um, tires obviously is a big part of the strategy during a Formula One race because there's different types of tires used in uh, during the race, and they have to change them because one single set of tires uh, will not last them the entire race. They will just explode. Um, just as a note, as you might have noticed, every single tire in Formula 1 is uh, developed and produced by Pirelli. It's also an Italian company. I, I'm, I'm first going to talk about the different types of tires there are. There are in total eight different compounds of tires, as it's called. Um, that means that there's uh, eight different types of tires used, but this is actually a lot easier uh, than it sounds. There is two tires for wet weather. There's the full wets, which are the blue ones, and then there's the intermediate tires, uh, which are green, which are pretty self-explanatory. Like if the track is wet, uh, they need these uh, tires to push the water away from the car so they can get the grip. Uh, towards uh, the floor and that is important that the wet tires do push the water to the side so you don't really see them use the full wet tires that often because if the track is wet enough for for them to need to use the full wet tires that means that there's so much water on track and they, they push so much water up that the visibility gets so low that they don't even that they can't even fucking and then there's the uh, six so-called slick tires, uh, which are categorized in their six compounds from C0 to C5, which C0 being the hardest compound and C5 being the softest. Also, quick note, they added one new compound uh, from last year, because last year it was only from C1 to C5. Uh, but this year they added a new one, and instead of just moving everything onto the right from C1 to C6, they just added the zero, because Italians. There is a huge difference between uh, a tire being hard and a tire being soft, because a soft tire has a lot more grip towards the ground, meaning that the car uh, will go faster. But then the negative of this is, uh, is that the tire will... Um, will degrade faster, meaning they're going to break faster. So, for example, a, a, a soft tire is going to make uh, your lap 
one second faster than doing exactly the same on the hard tire. But on the soft tire, you can only do 20 laps before this actual danger of the tire uh, just like exploding and breaking. Meanwhile, on like a hard tire, you can make 30 to 40 laps on that uh, tires without being able to worry. Um, also, just as an example, Pirelli, uh, for each race, they decide which compounds of uh, tires they're going to use for that race. Because for each race, there's only three uh, slick compounds being used. For hard tracks with like very that uh, with very long race times or like high temperatures, they usually go for the harder ones because those races are a lot tougher on the tires. So long races like Silverstone or Suzuka or like places where it's really hot like Austin, they usually go go for 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 the. C0 to C2 compounds. But then for for like shorter or street races where it's 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 very cold as well. They go for like the soft they can go from like C3 to C5 compounds. So that means in like what and and they just use these these three compounds throughout the entire race. The hard soft and and the medium um uh sets of tires that the different drivers have so you can happen that what in monaco is considered uh the hardest uh the hard tires and like suzuka is actually the soft tire even though they're considered different they just adapt to each race so all the drivers also have limited amount of of uh dry slick sets that they can use per week each like and, and this is including the entire week, so from all the free practice sessions to qualifying to the entire race itself. So for example, so for each week, each driver has two sets of hard tires, three sets of mediums, and eight sets of softs. Um, but during a sprint race, they have one less set of softs, so they only have seven of them, so twelve in total. Um, and also it's. It's important to note that during a race, all the drivers are obligated to use at least two different types of uh, uh, tire sets. So they cannot just do the entire race on hard on the hard set and then in the middle switch to the second set they have and then finish the race like that. They cannot do that. They have to at least switch to mediums once. And yeah, that's about everything. About the tires. Well, then, uh, tacking onto the tires, I will be talking about pit stops. And like Daniel mentioned, um, drivers are required to pit at least once to change their tires. And there's also like um, an extra incentive for people to do this. So, first of all, they can get a penalty if they don't do this. Um, and that's not even regarding the fact that, like Daniel said, also the tires will probably explode and you can't even finish the race if you don't pit. But also, you need to start the race on Sunday on the same set of tires that you used to put your fastest time in Q2. So these tires will already be used um, at least for one or two laps, so they need to switch off of those as well. So they need to pit at least once. Now, usually during a pit stop, uh, drivers will only have their tires changed, but sometimes after like uh, a light crash or well, Dutch commentators like to call it a touche when cars uh, make contact with each other. Uh, car's front wing can also be damaged um, and this part can also get changed and the reason why they choose to replace a front wing even though it takes way more time than just the tires is because even minor damage can change the aerodynamics of a car so much that it slows them down by a second and it's not much but in Formula 1 a second is a world of a difference so they can choose to replace the front wing as well um, of course, the goal of the team and the pit crew is to make the pit stop happen as fast as they possibly can. And by God, these people are fast. Like, okay, in recent years, the FIA has made some additional rules to improve driver and pit crew safety, which means that um, there needs to be at least 1.15 milliseconds in between separate actions. And I did not even know they could go faster than that, but that's the minimum time that needs to happen between actions. Um, and this has made the pit stop slightly slower, but 
on average, pit stops still take 2.4 seconds, and that's to change four tires on a huge car. It's, it's insane how fast they can go. But bad pit stops also happen, and they can either be very slow, so for example, a wheel gun can misfire, or it just doesn't work, or they bring out the wrong tires, or... And all of these are examples from things that actually have happened, or they lose a tire. Sometimes <laughs> there has been an incident where a tire just rolled through the pit lane and they had to run after it to get it back. Um, but bad pit stops can cost you a lot of time because they can take as much as 10 seconds, that's even if you don't have a penalty. But things can also go so wrong that people have to retire the car. Because Bottas had this happen, I think, two or three seasons ago when he came in for a tire change. And the um, the bolts on one of the wheels had gotten so stuck they couldn't get the uh, the tire off, so he had to retire the car uh, and he couldn't yeah. finish the race. Yeah. Very sad because he was actually doing pretty well on that as well. <laughs> um, but then the tricky part is when the driver is done with the pit stop and they want to go back to the race because obviously you have to go slow. You're standing still for a few seconds. This costs you a lot of time. Can cost you several positions out in the field. So they want to go back in the race as fast as they possibly can. But they need to make sure they don't exceed the speed limit in the pit lane, which, as I mentioned earlier, is 80 kilometers per hour. Because if they go faster, they get a time penalty. Um, but they also need to make sure that they drive away when it's safe. So they usually get a go-ahead from the team when they are free to leave. Um, and they get this go-ahead when nobody is touching and no equipment is touching the car anymore and everything is secured. And when the road is clear. Now, sometimes this goes wrong and the road is actually not clear when the drivers go um, get the go-ahead or they are just a bit eager and they leave too soon. But it has happened that somebody came in for their pit stop and then was almost hit by a car pulling away from the other pit stop. Um, and this is extremely dangerous because if an accident does happen, there are a lot of people around who are not inside a huge car and they will definitely lose if they get hit by a Formula 1 car. Uh <laughs> So the marshals and the stewards have made rules and they monitor stuff extremely super close to make sure that everything happens in a safe manner. Um, yeah, so uh, you heard me mention the marshals and I'm just going to smoothly drag this into the next topic because I want to talk about the flags for the very last part of this episode. Smooth operator here. Oh, you're going to fucking quote <laughs> uh, Carlos Sainz, smooth operator. Yes. <laughs> I had to, sorry. Yeah, okay. It is an iconic moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, the flags. It's the last topic, but I think one of the most important, because the flags are used on the track um, during qualifying and races to pass along information to drivers and literally just the uh, one one look, because they are going by at insane speeds, and they need to be able to understand and recognize the information that's being told to them immediately. I mean, of course, there's a race engineer who tells them things, and usually they have the exact same information as the flags, but sometimes a driver will see a flag before the race engineer gets the information, so they need to know what it means. Um, now, at several points along the race, especially in places where it's too dangerous for a marshal to be standing near the track and waving a flag because it's just too narrow or it's a straight, so cars are going too fast, um... There are some small screens which will display the flag as well, but there are still a lot of marshals just positioned around different places in the track that are waving actual physical flags. Um, and there is 11, what, 11 different flags in Formula 1. So, the first one, the most important one, I think, which you'll probably see a lot, maybe a little bit less now that Mazaspin and Latifi are gone, but um, <laughs> is the yellow flag. The Lance Stroll is still there. True, true. <laughs> yeah, and Magnussen. But then again, okay. So, yes, the yellow flag. The yellow flag gets waved when there is a safety issue on track, and this usually happens when a car has crashed or is standing still along the side of the track. Um, and if the yellow flag is waved, it means that drivers are no longer allowed to overtake each other and they have to drive slower. Now, if there is a double yellow flag, so when people are waving two yellow flags, um, the same things apply, but they have to drive even slower. And when there is a yellow flag, or a double yellow flag usually, it means a safety car will go out on track. Now, this one also has its, has its own flag, and this is a white flag with, in caps, the letters SC on it. 
um, and this one gets waved to signal to the drivers that a safety car is coming out into the field, and that means they have to stay behind the safety car, and they have to drive, I think, 35% slower than their top speed, but I'm not exactly sure about this, they just have to be slow and be careful. Now, sometimes the danger isn't that intense, so they send out a virtual safety car, which means that there is no actual safety car driving on the field, but that drivers still have to drive super slow and are not allowed to overtake. Then the other flag um, that also has to do with danger is a yellow and red striped flag. Now, this one is used to warn drivers that the track is slippery, and this can be due to water or oil or small pieces of debris. I have also seen that flag being used if it's waved, or not waved, but like moved side to side, that it uh, signals to the drivers that there are small animals on the track, like birds or rodents. Because we've had some incidents where drivers have hit birds. Yeah. <laughs> um, they don't do it on purpose, of course. It's it's quite traumatizing. Um, now, once the danger has passed, a green flag will be waved, and this means that normal racing conditions apply again. So all the previous limitations are gone and the race can continue. This is also the flag that is waved at the very beginning. So if you look at like the start, there is a guy waving a flag behind the cars. He's waving a green flag as well. That's to signify like, it's safe, let's go. Um, the blue flag means that the driver in front of another car or in front of several other cars has been lapped at least once and is moving too slow and that that driver needs to let the cars behind them pass. If the driver ignores this flag three times, they can get a penalty, and this is usually a time penalty. A white flag in Formula 1 does not mean surrender, uh, but it means that there is a slow-moving vehicle uh, right ahead. This can be something like a crane to lift up a crashed car, or an ambulance, or a medical car. But it can also just be another driver, a driver who is warming up, so this happens in qualifying sometimes, because not all the cars go out at the same time. So sometimes one of the cars will be really slow, and to avoid a crash, they wave a white flag to warn the driver, like, hey, be careful, there's somebody moving much slower than you in front of you. Now, a red flag means that the current session, whether it be practice, qualifying, or the race itself, is stopped immediately because of imminent danger for the drivers or the spectators, or if the weather is really bad. So that has to do with... Um, the situation Daniel mentioned earlier when the visibility is so bad because of the weather that it's just not safe to continue and the drivers have to go to the pits immediately. Well, there is also... The race is interrupted. Yeah, the race is interrupted. Now, sometimes if it is to do with an accident or weather conditions, the race will be continued at a later point. But that's really... It really depends on the situation and how far they've already... Uh, how how long they've been driving in the race and if there is a chance of improvement if it has to do with the weather. So sometimes after a red flag the session or the race will be continued, sometimes it won't. It's hard to say. Now there is also a black flag and in the years I've been watching Formula 1, which is about five years now, I have never once seen it at all. Doesn't mean it never happens, but it's very rare. And a black flag, which is um, always accompanied by a driver number to avoid confusion. A black flag means that the driver in question has been disqualified and they need to return to the pits immediately. Now, this black flag is not to be confused with the black flag with an orange circle on it, which is also accompanied by a driver number and also requires the driver to go to the pits. Uh, but this black and orange flag is waved when a car has sustained damage or some mechanical failure that could be a danger to either themselves or other people on the track. Because um, sometimes when a car is damaged, the team will tell the driver to stay out because they don't want to lose time. But the marshals can be like, yo, <laughs> that's not a good idea, go pit anyway. And then they wave the black and orange flag and send the driver to the pits. There is also um, more black, but a black and white flag, which is like divided diagonally. And this one is a warning to a driver if they are being unsportsmanlike. Uh, if the driver does not stop being naughty despite the warning that this flag gives, then they can get a black flag and they get disqualified. Um, they get bonked out of the race. Exactly. <laughs> That's what you get for being uh, for misbehaving. Uh, naughty, naughty. Like naughty, naughty. <laughs> and like the other flags, this one is also accompanied with a driver number because you really don't want to be signaling this to the wrong, per uh, wrong people. Uh, and finally, which I think there could be no more appropriate end to this whole recording than the 
signature and fame is black and white checkered flag, and this means that the session has ended, and this is what the race ends with, and what signifies, uh, well, that the person who crossed the finish line first has won. Yeah. And usually lapped cars also finish the race at that point. Yeah, exactly. So, um... Usually lapped cars will be behind by one or more laps and it will just take too long for them to finish the race and there's no point. Uh, so they just finish as soon as the first, I think, three drivers have crossed, then the race just ends for the lapped cars and they uh, finish, in quotation marks, in the order in which they were driving. Yeah. Yep. And with that beautiful flag, I think it's finally done. Our first episode quote-unquote uh we'll be back next week with like a first proper episode where we talk a little bit about ourselves and about the winter testing which is happening exactly winter testing in two days baby Woohoo! finally new season is up so close oh we're getting so close okay but do you know where you can watch winter testing I have no idea. I don't know if the platform I used to watch it even has it, but I will be following all the teams and the yeah, see. official um, Formula One platform to see if they say anything saucy about it. Yeah, same here. So yeah, we'll be back uh, next week to talk about winter testing and a bit about ourselves because there isn't really that that much to talk about winter testing because it's just a lot of cars exploding. <laughs> well, which, <that's... laughs> which does not look even slightly as cool as I make it sound it out to be, because <laughs> there's usually just smoke. Okay, uh, just as a clarification for the lovely people who have never watched Formula One, cars usually don't explode. Sometimes, though, when they crash, that happens. But mm, if the winter testing goes well, there will be no exploding cars at all. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, come on, it was funnier if it that way. Anyway, yeah. Um... But yeah, we'll be back next week with the first proper episode and also a shorter one because this one ended up being way fucking longer than we intended it to be. But there's just so much to talk about it and so much passion, I guess, from us as well. For sure. But now at least you know everything you you need to know to be able to watch a race and join any conversation or whatever. You're well prepared. Yes, very well prepared. More prepared than I was when I started. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, same. But we'll get into that more next week. Um, In the meantime, thank you everybody so much for listening. And we will see you next week. Yeah, goodbye. Bye.